Welcome back to Conversations for the Good. Hello, Dr. Jane. Hello, Anna. How are you today? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing just fine. It's good to be together again. Oh, yes, it is. Always is, Dr. Jane. You know, we've been delving into hidden aspects in our psychological makeup, our past conditioning, the development of our core beliefs, and that darker side of ourselves that we try to disown, the shadow. It can feel heavy, and yet I'm certain that turning toward these dimensions are important in our quest to be our best and highest selves. Well, Anna, you know that's right. And, and discovering and living from that best version of ourselves requires really an, an open and honest inventory of both our strengths and our limitations. You know, and, and as we've mentioned in previous conversations, sometimes this may require professional support. I mean, sometimes it does, especially if someone has a history of trauma or if in the process of diving in, one discovers that the content that's triggered brings up, brings up um, maybe big emotional reactivity. So we're, we're leaving that to the professionals to take care of, you know, on an individual basis. For our purposes, we want to peel back the barriers that prevent us from accessing who we're called to be. You know, we're not looking to beat ourselves up for dragging our feet or, or to beat ourselves up for denying our talents or sabotaging our personal goals. We're, we're curious. We're curious to flesh out why, you know, the, the, the whys and also the, the kind of the, the what's up with me. So let's review the territory and discuss how we proceed. Sure. You know, we're taking stock of um, what Mary Oliver, the poet, uh, calls our one precious life. You know, it isn't that we've crashed and burned necessarily, but we're curious about precious, unrealized parts of ourselves that maybe have been glossed over, you know, or, or maybe we've tucked it away or, or avoided, you know, um, what we really want to do with various excuses as to why it can't be or, or won't happen. You know, or, or maybe we're fed up with ourselves because we've let something go on too long. You know, when we all, we all probably have an area where this has happened. What's gone on too long? Is it the extra 15 pounds? You know, or is it that impulse buying or maybe the rescuing behavior? You know, maybe it's the lack of boundaries with friends, you know, with family or maybe our coworkers. You know, or maybe we overindulge on the internet or Facebook or Netflix. So, um, you know, it's also looking at our resentments, you know, or our anger or, or maybe our criticism, both of self and others, you know. And, and again, it's like, what's keeping me from my true happiness? You know, the key question is, is really what prevents me from being the best version of myself? Well, I think that's straightforward enough. You know, I do. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. You know, that's, that's the ideal answer. You know, let me take full responsibility from that front gate. You know, however, gosh, Anna, you'd be surprised at how many people start that response to that question by citing someone else as the culprit or the instigator, you know, and, and by naming someone else as being responsible can really begin a whole different kind of an exploration, an exploration into projection, into blame. You know, the blame that's used to justify 
my behavior. You know, we have a handy excuse, an excuse not to change. Well, my husband made me do it, you know, or, <laughs> or, or my kids, you know, uh-huh. my boss, the dog. I, well, there's all kinds of different excuses that we use, that we all use sometimes, you know? You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Yet this response is still rich with potential information because the next question can be something like, so what, it, what is it about me that makes it okay for someone else to dictate and control my behavior, you know, seemingly against my better judgment? So with that question, we're now possibly uncovering old conditioning from our backstory, um, possibly our self-limiting beliefs, and maybe shining a little light on that shadow part of ourselves. Well, Dr. Jane, let's peel that back some more. What do you think? Yes. Yeah. You know, if we think we're being blocked from living the best part of ourselves because of someone else, you know, and we're justifying it, our thinking is relying on information and experiences from our backstory and hidden aspects of ourselves, you know, so we're really on autopilot, you know, I, I, I want to share a personal example of being on autopilot for years, you know, that the, the bottom line is, you know, throughout my early life, I witnessed my mother's non-assertive accommodating behavior, you know, all through my growing up years. You know, I often say, I often say that I apprenticed with her in conflict avoidance. You know, it's what I saw, it's what I witnessed, and I also saw her frustration, and and really witnessed her resentment that were the results of this behavior. So, in later years, we were able to talk about it, and she clearly admitted that creating a state of conflict felt too risky. She was afraid of others' anger of others' disappointment, you know, and this was a behavior of all the women in her family, um, her family of origin. So what I found myself doing is really carrying on this legacy that I grew up and witnessed. So you learned from your mom a certain pattern of dealing with people in conflict. Yes, yes. The accommodating and the people-pleasing behavior was, was like second nature, you know, right up until the time I came to a turning point. Um, and was able to turn toward the anger and resentment, that that combination that was at the time flourishing within me because of it. Oh, well, we, you need to tell us more, Dr. Jane. <laughs> <laughs> well, my self-discovery um, began in a workshop. It was an addiction workshop that I was attending. And a woman was speaking about spirituality and addressing like we are, kind of hidden aspects that interfere with living a truly spiritual life. And she made a statement like, and I'm probably paraphrasing this, it's been 40 plus years, um, she made a statement like, and for those of you nicey-nicey folks who say that you're on a spiritual path and claim that you're never angry, well, you're either dead or not paying attention. And you know, Anna, it was like, it shot right at me. It felt like she was talking straight to me, like she was in my face. And I nearly fell out of my chair. You know, the people-pleasing, accommodating, conflict-avoidant life I'd been living and the anger and resentment brewing inside me became blatantly obvious. And I realized how I had normalized it. 
Wow. Well, that was a bombshell for sure. Yes. And really a gift. You know, I'm still humbled and grateful as I remember that moment because it was a turning point in my own journey. Mm-hmm. Well, Dr. Jane, how so? How so? How would you describe it being a turning point in your own journey? Well, here's how it played out for me, Anna. You know, in that moment, that woman saying that gave me permission to see my anger and my resentment and view it as normal. So I was in that moment able to own it, own it fully. You know, I didn't like it. <laughs> and my knee-jerk reaction was to project it away from me. You know, it's like my mother made me do it. Ultimately, though, um, I sat with feelings and like we suggested in our last conversation, you know, and I then had an opportunity to have tea with the demon that I'd been carrying, the anger, you know, and, and let's, let's take a look at, you know, as we've talked before, anger is a defensive reaction that tells us something's terribly wrong. You know, by itself, it doesn't blame, it doesn't shame. Um, we do that ourselves. It's our personal experience to do that, you know, as we project it. So by putting the anger into context, I was able to bring my anger out of hiding and see how I projected my anger onto others and the others that I was accommodating very often, you know, and only then could I begin to truly understand that I was really angry, mostly with myself for not speaking up, you know, for, for not having healthy boundaries, angry with myself for so wanting my, my life to be free of conflict that I was willing to abandon myself. You know, so the truth was revealed um, that it wasn't working for me, not anymore. And this is where the bulk of my inner work really began, you know, because I had become keenly aware that my accommodating behavior and, and was able to recognize it very often as it was happening, you know, I... I I had to learn, and it it came to me, you know, to recognize the cues, the physical, mental, emotional cues, in order to make a conscious choice to do things differently. Dr. Jane, thank you so much for sharing that with all of us. And I'm sure there are many of us that can relate to this in some way. And that takes, you know, so much, so much focus. And yet those behaviors and our responses happen in a flash. Well, you're right. You're right. And I began to explore the times when I was most likely to agree to something that I would later regret. You know, often it took place when I was in a hurry or um, maybe I wanted the person asking to think well of me or maybe I didn't want to disappoint them. You know, so I also questioned, you know, what exactly was I getting out of saying yes all the time? And, And this question allowed me to check out some of my core beliefs about, oh, gosh, being liked and likable, you know, also, you know, to be seen in a good light, to be seen as a giving, generous person, you know, and, and recognizing that, that the little girl within me, you know, was always starving for recognition and acceptance. You know, she was still alive and well in my conditioning and was always looking outside herself for these gifts, gifts of, of self-esteem and also of confidence. Well, it's no wonder that we do the things that we do, even when they trip us up. Well, yes. You know, and it's also important that we 
proceed our self-discovery with patience and compassion because we've cultivated these beliefs, these behaviors, you know, out of self-preservation. They really kept us safe, you know, early in our young lives. So we collect this information and then it's a matter of what do I do with it? Yes. Yes. I, I call this the, the so what part of the change process. You know, I've, I've gathered the information. I want things to be different. So what do I do next? And continuing with my, my example, you know, I, I began to investigate when I was most vulnerable to accommodating behavior and with whom. You know, and at this point, I wasn't trying to control or change the behavior. I was more interested in the variables that allowed it to happen or made it a promising idea. You know, it was like, you know, what am I getting from it? You know, and this is what I often refer to as our return on investment. You know, it's the reward that keeps us going back again and again. You know, I mean, I, I, I hate to... <clears throat> I hate to tell you, but we tend to be little rats at heart, Anna. You know, we, we seek the cheese, and when the cheese isn't available, we often look elsewhere. So in my example, my return on investment or the reward was, was avoiding conflict, being praised, being thought well of, you know, and this outweighed the fact that I didn't have the time, energy, or even want to do what was being asked of me. Well, I find this all so fascinating. And again, thank you for sharing this with us. It's so obvious that when you spell it out so clearly, you know, and we're looking at what we're doing along with where we're doing it without judgment or criticism. We're, you know, we're following the breadcrumbs back to ourselves to get a true understanding of the autopilot thinking and behaviors. Yes, Anna. Yes. You know, and once we see the habitual mind pattern, and, and the habitual emotional and behavior patterns that set up the behavior, we're ready to create alternatives that allow us the space to choose again, to choose a different response, and, and hopefully to make a conscious choice. So where did you begin to make new choices? Well, I began by shifting um, when I responded and the conditions that, that were necessary for me um, when someone made a new request, you know, it's like, what was going on? So I began to look at some of the activities on my schedule and, and really determined very quickly which were important to keep and which needed to be released. Can you give us a few examples, Dr. Jane? Well, sure. You know, one of the critical things that became apparent was that I agreed to do things without even the slightest consideration or how much would be required of my time and energy. You know, things like, and I know this sounds, this sounds crazy, but I never considered prep time, travel time, time away from my other obligations or recovery time. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't unusual after agreeing to do something that I would all of a sudden come to the realization of what I had agreed to and say, what the heck was I thinking? Oh boy, this sounds all too familiar, and I'm sure for many of the, the listeners today, uh, that probably sounds very familiar to them as well, although I'm much better these days, I have to say. Good for you, you know, because I began to do a few things differently, you know, early on, like create a pause before responding to any new request, you know, never agreeing to do anything on the phone, or interestingly enough, never agreeing to do anything while I was standing up. <laughs> you know, I began the habit of saying, let 
let me get back to you on that. Mm-hmm. You know, and this pause gave me time to deliberate and to really begin to discern what was important to me, what felt nourishing, you know, maybe what made my heart sing, what would allow me the self-care time that was at the time so missing in my accommodating life, mm-hmm. you know, and it became easier and easier to recognize my vulnerabilities and know that in my heart of hearts that saying yes was not always the right action that was so important to me, you know? And, and so, you know, along the way, new healthier habits were forming as the new behavior became more consistent. Oh, that's wonderful. And in discovering this, you were able to uh, dissect your habits and practice new behavior which is awesome. And I'm imagining that it wasn't always easy in the beginning. Well, well, that's an understatement. You know? <laughs> in fact, I attribute my success, although, you know, more intermittent in the beginning to my mindful awareness practices. Mm-hmm. You know, it was these practices allowed me more immediate access to both the thoughts, the feelings, you know, that were linked the old behavior, you know, so I was really identifying various vulnerabilities that made the mental emotional cues that were triggering me much more evident. Yes, I have to say that mindful awareness practices really have helped me so much. So let's retrace our steps so that the sequence of the change process you created is clear. Sure. You know, we begin by turning our mindful awareness toward our our habitual thinking and behaving, you know, and this gives us a lens on the habitual mind patterns, you know, that the question of what makes me think I have to do things this way, you know, it also gives us an opportunity to ask who's in control of my life. So we're looking more closely at how we do things, the habitual behavior patterns, you know, so another question would be, you know, who says I need to do it this way? And, and also, who will be impacted if I change? And what's my reaction to that? You know, that other people will be affected. You know, so we're attempting to close in on the truth about how our life is playing out, how we're operating with family and social interactions, you know, maybe at work and also in our self-care. You know, we're also checking out our vulnerabilities. Are we stressed out, burned out? You know, am I feeling regretful, disappointed, maybe guilty? Um, am I operating in unhealthy behaviors? Or maybe I'm operating in unhealthy relationships. And also, you know, how are we feeling most of the time? You know, is there a lot of anxiety or depression or, or anger? Well, very good questions and really taking an honest inventory of ourselves. The truth can be hard to sit with. Well, yes, you know, but but we're not going to sit indefinitely. You know, the inventory, you know, allows us to focus on what's making us unhappy and the ingredients necessary to change that. So we're looking at our habits, you know, the the habitual thinking, the habitual emotional symptoms and and behavior patterns, you know, and, and these are the initial and necessary steps in a change process, we, we also want to reflect on previous attempts to change, you know, when have I tried this out before, maybe in a different way, but, you know, 
what happened? You know, what was my shortfall? You know, and, and also, you know, what are our habitual behavior patterns? You know, where is our negative bias? Remember, negative bias is, is kind of that habitual negative lens that I have on life. You know, so here are a few things that we're drawing from. You know, a, a couple of the kind of uh, behavioral patterns that we might be, be living in, you know, like, like I've talked about, you know, in my own life, the people-pleasing and accommodating, where, where we're abandoning ourselves for others' needs. Or, or maybe we operate mostly as being kind of a judge and critic, you know, and that can keep me, you know, separate because I'm putting a negative frame on myself or others, or I'm using a lot of shoulds, should do this, shouldn't do that. You know, for some of us, we operate mostly in, in kind of a, of a rescue or savior role in life. It's a real vulnerability because we look at ourselves always as being the fixer, but usually we feel grossly unappreciated. You know, are there other times that, that we might operate in a vulnerability that really sets us up to feel like a victim, like we can't handle something or we're overwhelmed or a, a, another vulnerability can be, gosh, being the dabbler. You know, this is... This is, I kind of look at the dabbler as being an escape artist, someone who is very restless and, and, and distracted. Um, and maybe they flip from one activity to the other. You know, they just can't stay focused. Or the perfectionist, you know, where order and inflexibility and high standards continue to, to run our lives. You know, and then there are other people who tend to operate mostly as an avoider. And this is... You know, the, the avoider very often, that vulnerability is I prefer comfort and pleasantries, and I'm, so I'm going to deny all conflict or anything that is negative from coming into my, my range or my field at all. You know, and for some people, it's about being a controller, kind of that take charge, confrontational, always need to be right, kind of bulldozing routine that it's like there's something to be done and I'm the person to get, get it done, get out of my way. You know, so these are just a few of the vulnerabilities, you know, or our, our habit patterns that we might find ourselves in, you know, and quite frankly, Anna, you know, we might find ourselves falling into more than one category, depending on the circumstances or are the individuals that we're um, operating with. I just, I really find this all so fascinating, Dr. Jane, and we're discovering patterns, habits, most of which may not have always been obvious to us. We're making it obvious because it's not working for us anymore. Well, that's right. That's right. And we want to see this very, very clearly. We want to see what, what's triggering us, you know, that kind of the, um, what, what usually is the emotional um, backed kind of belief that cues us in. This is, this is the, the cue or the trigger to activate the habitual pattern, Okay. And then we also want to see clearly, you know, what do we do? What exactly happens when I'm in that habitual behavior? You know, what's the routine of that? And then to know what we're getting out of it. You know, this is the return on investment, you know, or what we thought it would do for us. This is the return on investment or it's the kind of the reward system of that behavior. And with this information, you know, we're able to begin making small incremental changes that build more positive, healthier patterns of both the thoughts and the behavior. Well, that's certainly what we want to do. So what do you suggest that we do this week? Well, Anna, I really, really suggest 
that we continue to focus on our mindful awareness practices because this is the foundation um, for really catapulting into conscious choice. So, you know, again, like we've said the past few conversations, you know, use the breath and body practice, you know, incorporate some body sensory or body scan into that practice. Also utilizing kind of watching our thoughts so we know what the habitual mind patterns are. Um, these are all important pieces just to be in that present moment awareness, turning toward the discomfort when that arises, knowing where it's registering in a sensory way in our bodies. And, and also let's not forget that three-minute breathing space and doing that a couple minutes a day because that reconnects us with the awareness when we've kind of gone off track. You know, and aside from, or I, I should say in, in, as an adjunct to the mindfulness practices, you know, to begin to inquire into some of our favorite habit patterns, you know, pick one, you know, uh, tease out when it occurs, you know, what do you usually do? You know, what do you hope to get from it? You know, and approach it with, with being, you know, curious, kind, compassionate. So let's continue to explore and understand the territory before we jump into the actual change process. Well, this makes total sense. So exciting that we can, we can get to pick our own practice sequence this week. Thank you. Until our next conversation.